hackers are pretty smart people, and we all know the term porch pirate, but I think I want to coin the term sky raiders. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast, brought to you by management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. In today's episode, we were joined by Anthony Denota and Matt Riley as they have a conversation around how drone operators should focus on delivering packages before people. They will explore safety, privacy, and give an industry update. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome, everyone, to the Velocity Podcast. I'm Anthony Denota, Vice President at Oliver Wyman Cavok, and I'm joined by Matt Riley, Senior Manager, also at Oliver Wyman Cavok. Matt, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Hi, Anthony. Good morning. Doing well. I'm really excited to be back on the show speaking about a really neat topic. I think we both find it near and dear to our hearts. So I'm looking forward to today's session. Yeah, it's great to return to the show and continue the discussion from previous podcast episodes that we spoke on. If you haven't already tuned in, Matt and I hosted the episode Drones, How Close Are We?, where we had conversations around the state of the industry, shared some of the challenges facing the urban air mobility concept. Today, we'd like to share with you why we think the industry should focus much more around packages and package delivery, certainly before people. Matt, you want to give us a little update on the industry and see where we've been since the last time we got together? Sure, that'd be great. Yeah, last time we spoke, we had some facts and figures that the FAA had been publishing around how many commercial drones and recreational drones have been registered with the FAA. And since the last episode, which we had March 1st, recently they published, there are now 489,000 commercial drones. And that's an increase of 47,000 commercial drones in just a six month period. Wow, we're coming up on a half a million commercial drones, Matt, huh? Yes, yes, that's incredible. And 1.2 million recreational drones. That's an increase of 82,000 vehicles. So that's quite an increase in total number of drones in just a six-month period. I think you'll see on some of our daily emails that we put out called Now Arriving, we have been following the drone data, and we're going to watch this increase. And I think the estimates now for the next few years is numbers that you just couldn't imagine, several million drones in a few years. We should clarify for our audience today, because when people hear half a million commercial drones, you would tend to think awful lot of commerce going on. But there's a distinction between commercial drones as a service and commercial drones for hire, right? And I wonder if you can maybe kind of tease that out a bit. Absolutely. A huge difference. As we've mentioned in the past, we've been talking about the Integration Pilot Program, or the IPP, where the commercial drones that are actually providing a service, but they're going to begin delivering in the test environment service packages. And there are only a handful right now, three actually, who have been approved. There are several very close to being approved under Part 135, and there are several out there conducting Part 107 deliveries as a test under a waiver. Even just today, Skydio They received approval to conduct bridge inspections in the state of North Carolina. And we're going to start to see much more commercial-type operations like that. But to your other aspect of this, Anthony, is the photography drones and the real estate, the inspections that 
people do on roofs and even towers. That's a huge business, and that's where those half a million drones are operating today under Part 107. Yeah, great, Matt. Thanks for clarifying that. And as we had in our previous discussions where we talked about a few of the other topics that I'm sure we can get into, remote ID and other regulatory concerns, one of the things when people ask, gosh, why do you think that your perspectives are focused more on packages before people? And I think it's important that we clarify why we think that that's our view. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Certainly on the packages perspective for drones, it's clear that we could make the case. Before COVID, it was an awful lot of focus around, gosh, I can get a, a meal delivered to me. It's more of a novelty than a necessity. But I think that what COVID has taught us is that we need to be able to fulfill the last mile of the supply chain for critical materials that are necessary for life preservation, if you will, right? So and if you think that with a drone, even the ones that are envisioned today, the ability for them to deliver pharmaceuticals or personal protective equipment or medications or other healthcare-related items from central distribution centers to multiple single-point locations, whether it be residential or industrial, is clearly something that can be done. And so we think that that path is much clearer it seems like people mix the two, right? Urban air mobility and drones, and sometimes they almost use them as a mixed metaphor in the same sentence, when in reality, they're completely different things. Yeah, that's right, Anthony. I think there's a lot of buzz around the vehicles that are currently being developed that will autonomously carry people, but we're quite a ways away from that point for two reasons. Safety, number one, is the FAA's primary concern. But also privacy. There is a lot to be learned about both of those. And doing it with packages where there's a significantly less risk if a drone were to go down with a package versus a, a vehicle with, with passengers. One of the recent conferences that the FAA hosted was the UAS Commercial Expo. And our FAA administrator, Steve Dixon, he spoke just prior and he reiterated that those two were his primary points, safety and privacy. And all of it ties together in the remote ID rule that he announced will be hopefully out by the end of this year. And as we mentioned in the previous podcast, there were 53,000 plus comments to that proposed rule. And all of that has to be synthesized and then the rule put out onto the docket. So we have a lot to do in the next few years. And that's why we believe that packages before people is the way to go. And I know in a previous podcast that our own Robbie Bork did, he interviewed the CEO, Bobby Healy from NANA, as well as Dan Sawanka from Zipline. Their whole thing is let's walk before we run. And I think we're in the walking stage and that's where the packages before people comes in. What I think people are missing in their enthusiasm for urban air mobility is the fact that if you have an air vehicle that we're going to put five or six individuals in, then it will be required that they meet the same certification standards for crashworthiness, for airworthiness, for certification, for damage tolerance, as let's say its closest cousin would be a helicopter. 
from my own experiences, what I have seen in, so let's call them not transport category, but let's just stick with normal category helicopter certification. It takes the major helicopter OEMs of the world, and for our audience, probably be able to figure out who they are, but reading a lot of their public disclosures and other documents where they talk about certification timelines of four to six years to bring a new design helicopter in a normal category to market, right? And sometimes investments on the order of $2 billion plus or minus U.S. And I just wonder if the requirements are the same, how many people are ready to line up for a five-year effort in the $2 billion commitment. And, and so I think that kind of stalls the energy a bit, right? Because at the initial part of that conversation, it's an awful big pill to swallow it tends to then push the energy back towards where the need is. And it's really while we're still continuing to build up our own knowledge and insights around urban air mobility, we're we're much more focused on the package delivery and the last mile solution, Matt. Agreed, totally. And that's almost a whole topic for another podcast because the type certification process, even for the small SUAS, the under 55-pound vehicle, that's still being developed, and we don't have any rules and rule sets that are specifically for these types of vehicles. So the FAA has embarked on a safety risk assessment type model where they're going to apply the vehicle's CONOPS or concept of operations to the certification process, which I think if we move into the larger that you were talking about, Anthony, they are absolutely going to comply with Part 23 as far as the aircraft and all of the requirements to operate that. And I think what we're seeing today is a lot of manufacturers, they are in the design phase, the concept phase. They're doing testing, but they haven't even entered the type certification process. And as you mentioned, it's three to five years just in that process alone, let alone the pre-development stage where they're working out the bugs. So we have a long way to go, and I think that might be something we talk about in depth in future episodes. Yeah, it's interesting, Matt. And I think you're starting to see that, the packaged last-mile delivery solution. And in that sense, the vehicles meeting safety risk assessment and the CONOPS profile that can fit, I think there's a much cleaner path to get what I would say is a limited type certificate for that mission profile that you're requesting. And if that's the case, there's certainly significantly more opportunity to deploy delivery drones either from a hub-and-spoke concept or from a regional or, or rural hubs where they're actually feeding delivery vehicles within neighborhoods and then the delivery vehicle takes up the last few feet. But there's some infrastructure requirements there as well. So maybe you touch on that a bit. Yeah, exactly. I think that is the concept that I could see being deployed and utilized sooner than later. It makes sense when it talks about the infrastructure. And I'll speak for the state of North Carolina. You have to have permission to take off a vehicle from the landowner, which means if I go out to fly my photography drone and I'm going to do a roof inspection at a home, that homeowner must give me written permission before I can launch. What we are looking at from an infrastructure point of view is a distribution center could be the launch location, and they have all of the Part 107 rules covered, as well as the local DOT rules. 
every state is different, but they can certainly launch their own drones from their own property. But the infrastructure, the vertiport, the places that will house the battery chargers, all of the equipment required to have a multi-drone operation could be launched from the roof of a distribution center, which I think is a huge benefit to some of these larger drone and uh, last mile delivery companies. But there is one other piece that I think I'd like to talk about, and that is it's around public acceptance, but the security of the vehicle carrying a package into a neighborhood. No one has really spoken much about any type of security for the vehicle. And what I mean by that is people with jammers that could potentially take over the drone or cause the drone to land or cause the drone to do an emergency parachute deployment. Hackers are pretty smart people. And we all know the term porch pirate, but I think I want to coin the term sky raiders because as drones come into neighborhoods for package delivery, we have to start thinking about the nefarious entities out there who might want to steal either the drone or the drone's package. Yeah, so that brings in a whole new set of challenges around encryption and cybersecurity for these air vehicles. And gosh, it's almost a whole other industry to spool up. Those that would be malintended, sky raiders, as you say, and then those that are trying to conduct normal business and daily commerce. So how do you protect and how do you ensure that products that you're putting forth for delivery are able to reach their destination securely? And besides the ability to fly safely, and now you have to be able to provide cyber and encrypted security along the intended route of flight, which has been obviously a topic that's top of mind on commercial aviation and air transport. And that has been well discussed, but I'm not sure we've had a lot of discussions around it as it relates to this. But yeah, that is a topic certainly that I think, Matt, we could probably fill a whole other podcast on as well. I agree. I think we've touched on a couple of uh, future episodes here. Well, thinking about a bit of the infrastructure, and certainly there is, as you mentioned earlier, where you have people that potentially would hijack or sky raid the drone. There is also obviously situations where if a drone is lost along its route of flight, it crashes into an area. How do we then ensure that the local fire departments understand how to come and deal with. It's not going to obviously be a big crash scene, but nonetheless, there's a battery and then there's chemicals and so on. You never know what you're hauling in the cargo area of the drone. So there's some ground and certification elements. The infrastructure in some place, if you're having dozens of these, there would have to be some number of batteries, battery charging stations, and some level of security as well. What have you seen the industry focus on in that area? Right now, I think the industry is focused on short-haul delivery, focused on the PPE and the medical fields around a couple of big cities here in North Carolina, but they're all short distances. And as you mentioned, we need batteries. We need to be able to dispatch or launch a vehicle, make a delivery, return that vehicle to its landing area, and get a new battery, get a new flight plan loaded, and get that vehicle back in the air to really be efficient. And the current battery technology, it's only good for a quadcopter to fly approximately five miles 
deliver return and then be recharged or a new battery placed in it. If you start flying a winged vehicle, which you see some of these vehicles are vertical lift, however, they transition to forward flight, that's a more efficient operation because now you're using less energy on just two motors to create the lift and it can fly a lot farther. However, there are only a few of those type of vehicles out there and the infrastructure around that type of operation is better suited because if you're going to come into a neighborhood and drop something in someone's driveway, there's only one way to accurately place that package in a driveway or on a front yard and that is with vertical lift. I think the one part that is still a little bit uncertain for me is public acceptance as it relates to noise. So while the convenience factor, we can certainly articulate that, and the necessity, especially I think what COVID's taught us, right, as we said earlier, the ability to deliver critical things to individuals in a time of need is there. Beyond that, though, and just kind of steady state commerce, I wonder how easy it's going to be to get people accustomed to the constant drone buzzing noise in and around their neighborhoods. And then do communities enact noise ordinances that perhaps could preclude drones that don't meet quietness standard, if you will, from operating in those areas? You know, the FAA, other the regulatory agencies have certain, I wouldn't call them measurable noise ordinances. It's more based around subjective measures, but certainly if you have one that's on a decibel scale with a recordable metric, it may be difficult for them to meet that, right? going to be the next big hurdle between local communities and those that wish to expand this commerce last mile delivery leg. Right. Yeah, I think you've touched on the last of the four major topics. You know, we've said safety and privacy, and we talked a bit about infrastructure, but that public acceptance piece is one of the ones I think is going to give drone delivery companies the most trouble. You're right. I think the neighborhood guidelines, the noise ordinances will come into play when these vehicles start buzzing around and people are in their backyard and they don't want to be spied on. They want to maybe get their package, but the neighbor doesn't want to see that drone flying over their house. There are going to be those issues, and that is going to be a challenge that delivery companies must deal with. As far as what do I see, that's going to be a tough one. I've recently become a member of the FAA FAST team. And that is where members of the community get out and talk to the community about drones. And it's a community outreach. It's going to be a long process to get people to accept drones delivering packages. However, people are pretty used to having that truck pull up in their yard and have whatever they're ordering delivered in a couple of days. Now, when they get the taste of delivery in a couple of hours, I think you'll see some of that public acceptance start to abate and it will become more mainstream. But it will take some time, I have to admit. No, I think you're right. I think that time tends to create that acceptance. One thing that the history of aviation has taught us is there's no shortcuts. We see problems. We work together as a community to develop alternate procedures or real technical solutions that address those problems head on. So. Yeah, so I think we've covered all of those main challenges, and I hope that we've been able to shed a light on why we believe that there's certainly a big case to be made for a focus on packages before people, Matt. I totally agree. We have touched on a lot of things and probably a few things that we'll talk more in depth on, but I think for now, Anthony, that's all we have time for. 
thank you for a great discussion around these topics. And I totally agree that it's packages before people. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And thank you, Matt. It would be great for us to come back on the show again, continue the discussion around how drones could be utilized and serve different purposes and even in other business functions. Well, thanks, Anthony. If any of our listeners would like to gain any more insight around this topic or any of our other topics, please don't hesitate to contact us via our Oliver Wyman Cavok UAS website. Our emails are there, and I would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us for the Velocity Podcast. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode goes live.